Please open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, as we look to the prayer of Jesus. And the scripture will not be on the slides today, so I do encourage you, please open your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, open a Bible in front of you from the pews. The page in the pew Bibles is page 849, 849. Look, I took all the work out of it for you. Thank you, Dan. Dan has his Bible open. We are back in John, believe and live. We're looking to the life of Christ. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking to Jesus, teaching his disciples in the final hours of his life on earth before he would go and depart from us. And as he teaches his disciples a few weeks ago, we looked to John 14, where he tells his apostles, he tells the 11, do not let your hearts be troubled. Well, I don't know about you, but my heart is often troubled. But he tells them, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he gives them a reason why. He tells them, we need not fear for he goes to prepare a place for us. And then beyond that, he goes on even further to say, through him, our peace will be restored with God the Father. The Father will be revealed to us and revealed to us in a new, magnificent, wonderful way. A way which is, which is based upon grace, merciful grace, love, forgiveness. A peace not based upon our works, but upon the work of Christ. Jesus then would go on to give one of the greatest sermons, one of the greatest teachings ever taught on the vine and the branches. And then he went on from that and taught about hatred. You see, even though we live in a world, even though we live in a relationship with God as branches connected to the true vine to Christ, and then through that connected to God, we still live in a world full of hate. But we still need not fear. We still need not have our hearts troubled because Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us one another. And further than that, Jesus intercesses. He is our intercessor on our behalf, speaking to the Father. And that's what we're going to see today. As we transition today, we're going to see a prayer of Jesus. We see Jesus prays. And as we transition to this, we see what some would call one of the most remarkable chapters of all of Scripture. It's the longest of Jesus' prayers. And in this, we see not just an example of how to pray, but we see Jesus praying himself to the Father. We see an inside look at how Jesus prays. And as one pastor said, he said, it's like eavesdropping on a conversation between two great friends. It's like eavesdropping and being able to hear how the Trinity of God speaks amongst themselves. J.C. Ryle once greatly described this prayer, this chapter, as one of the most wonderful chapters in all of the Bible. Wonderful as a specimen of the communication between the Father and Son. Wonderful as a pattern of his present intercessory work as our great high priest. And wonderful, too, as an example of the sort of things believers should mention in prayer. You see, what we see before is it may be simple in the words. It's not hard to understand, but it's profound in the meaning. It's profound in what's being accomplished. It's profound in what Jesus is doing. In fact, it is so profound that I read one of one of the great reformers. I can't remember his name now. But on his deathbed, his wife asked him, what would you like to, me to read to you from God's word? Which even in that is an application for us. Are we wanting God's word read to us? What about on our deathbed? What about as we approach that? Well, we're all approaching that. 
Are we desiring the word of God to be read to us, to be put into our hearts, our minds, and to focus on that? Well, this man, he said, I want John 17 read to me as I die. This chapter of which I base so much example for my living and my prayer and my communication with God, I want this read to me. What we see here, what we read, is one of the greatest messages, is one of the greatest prayers ever prayed, which, and it follows one of the greatest messages ever taught. Let's read together right now. It's a lot to read. We're reading the whole chapter, but it's important for us to read it all together as one whole piece of scripture. John chapter 17 starts like this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they wore and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that that you have given me is from you. Verse 8, if you're just catching up of John 17, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am praying for them. I want to repeat this. Jesus is praying for them here. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word so that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me, and I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, 
because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Thank you for following along. We see in today in scripture a great prayer for it's the prayer of jesus but as we read this prayer of jesus it's important to notice that it's not like the lord's prayer it's not like that prayer that we see in matthew 6 or luke 11 it's not a prayer that jesus is just giving us as an example saying as you pray this is how you shall pray it's not like that song we sang the lord's prayer a great song to remind us of how to pray You see, Jesus gave us that prayer as an example, as he said, to pray for deliverance and to pray for our trespasses, to seek forgiveness and to pray for our trespassers. You see, Jesus didn't need to pray for these things, for Jesus was perfect. Jesus was sinless. That was for us. But the prayer you read today is for him. That was for us. The prayer today in John 17 is for him. But despite that... We see some great truths here. We see great truths to apply to our life. We see applications. But we also see that Jesus, even though he's praying for himself, he transitions quite fastly to pray for others. In this, we see three points of which we'll focus today. Number one is this. Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for his glory. Number two, Jesus prays for his own. Jesus prays for the 11, his immediate disciples, the immediate apostles which are there and which would go on and continue his work. It's important to see that, to understand that as we read what he says. And number three, Jesus prays for the world of believers to come. And this includes us today. Now, since we have Sunday school starting today, which I hope all of you plan on sticking around for, we have plenty of options. Let's get straight into it with number one. Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays For his glory. And this is important for us to see. It's important for us to recognize. I believe it was J. Vernon McGee that recognized that we must first deal with ourselves as we go to God. We must first deal with the fact that we are sinful human beings coming before the sovereign Lord of all creation. But this is different. This is God himself, Jesus Himself, God in the flesh coming before. He need not ask for forgiveness or seek forgiveness for us, like us, but he does seek God's glory, as we should. Let's read this. Verse 1 to 5, I'd like to reread again as we go into Jesus praying for himself. And it says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, I wrote down in my notes that in this prayer of Jesus, we see no less than seven specific requests made by Christ to God the Father. 
Number one, the first request we see is that he prays for the glorification of the Son. He prays for his own glory. Number two, secondly, he prays for the restoration of his glory. There is a separation there. We'll talk about that later. And third, if we're to move forward, and there is a point for moving forward in this way. Third, we see Jesus' request <clears throat> protection for his disciples. Fourth, we see him request sanctification of his disciples. Fifth, we see Jesus' request unification, unity of his disciples. Sixth, we see Jesus request glorification of his disciples, of his people, of his own. And seven, finally, we see him request salvation of the world. Salvation of the world. Now, why am I telling you all this? I, I just told you, we are focusing on Jesus. We're starting out by seeing how Jesus is praying for himself. For well, the first thing I want to point out to you is this. Jesus, in a total of 26 verses... Jesus only prays for himself in five of them. Five of them. And in those five verses he prays for himself, only two of those requests are for him. And in those two requests, one might say that even in those two requests, it ultimately was not just for him. It was for the glory of God and the blessings of eternal life for his people. What a great lesson. What a great application we have for ourselves today as we look to our own prayer life. How much of our prayer goes on to on and on and on for ourselves and for our own glory instead of the glory of God and for his purpose, for his will to be done? How much of our prayer is for the lives of others compared to our own wants and desires? But let's move forward. Let's move backwards in a way. Let's go back to John 17, verse 1. Jesus says, the hour has come. The hour has come. Now, we talked last week and in the previous weeks that as he says the hour has come, it's not so much that there's a specific time, a specific hour, a specific minute has, has come upon the clock as I'm watching closely. Jesus is talking about a specific event which has come. The cross is near. The time for him to depart is near. His time to be the sacrificial lamb for the world is near. A tool for a redemption, a messianic fulfillment of prophecy. It is here. His final hours are here. And in these final hours, he goes to prayer. I want you to see this. Jesus knew that his greatest crisis, the greatest crucial point for eternity was here. And the thing he thinks to do first is go to prayer. Crisis mode prayer. We all could learn from that as well. In times of crisis, go to prayer. In times of crisis, focus on God. In times of crisis, focus first on God's glory and the glory of Jesus. But I do want to focus on the context here. You see, although we should, in times of crisis, go to prayer, go to God and seek his strength, seek his wisdom, seek his grace. That is not why Jesus was going to God here in prayer, not this time. I do not believe the focus of this prayer or the purpose of this prayer was for dying grace or strength to endure the cross to come. 
But instead, it was for the Father's glory and purpose to come to be. Even as we read this, now once again we can see this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Here in John 17, Jesus goes to God in prayer and he's dedicating his life back to God for God's glory to come through his death, through the cross. Even in death, even in the cross, even in the crucifixion, even all the torment, all the mockery, even in all the loneliness and the abandonment of all Jesus' followers, God's glory would come to be. You see, God's glory can come to be through all things. Some of you, as I'm looking across you in this audience, in this congregation, I know you're struggling with, with deep, deep struggles, deep hurts. Maybe they're physical hurts of the body. Maybe they're emotional hurts or mental hurts. Maybe they're spiritual hurts as you're just struggling at this time in your life. Or I want to encourage you and say... God's glory can and will still come out of this. Pray for that. Because that will always come to be. That will come to be. Glory. Well, there's a second part of the glory here I told you we'd talk about. This word glory is also used in a personal petition from Jesus. He prays for his glory in addition to the Father's. Jesus asked for his glory to return. And as I say this, I'm reminded of John 1.1 and John 1.14 when we read at the beginning of this about a year and three months ago. The word was with God and the word became flesh and we saw his glory, glory as only the son from the father full of grace and truth. So in Jesus praying for the glory to come to him and to the Father, first, Jesus is praying for the glory to come through the, to the Father through the workings of the, of the cross, through the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy coming to be, through the atonement of our sins. But secondly, Jesus is praying for glory to come to himself as he goes back to the Father's side. But let's move forward. Jesus doesn't just focus on himself. We covered that partially. Jesus prays for his own. He prays for the 11. After praying for himself, Jesus turns his attention back to those who are in his midst at this time. And he prays that the disciples would have unity and that they would have joy. Joy. You see, Jesus doesn't desire for us to be walking around with division, hatred amongst ourselves, to be fighting and, and bumping heads all over the place. Jesus doesn't desire for us to be walking around his creation with our heads hung low either. Jesus desires us to be walking around in unity and with joy. And I think the two are greatly related as well. You cannot be walking around in the joy that you're meant to be walking around without the unity that we are to have together. Being connected in a rightful way to the true vine, which is Jesus, and then receiving the great care, the great pruning that the vine dresser, God the Father, gives us. We're connected in that way. And through being connected in unity, we have joy. Without that unity, as long as we're fighting each other, we don't have the true joy that we're meant to have. And to go further, without uni unity, being unified with God, we have no joy at all. You wonder why the world is living in such hatred. You wonder why the world is living in such despair. Because they don't have unity at all. Not with God. They don't have eternal life at all. 
not with God. No one can say they have eternal life. It's just not with God. But Jesus is here telling us that true eternal life, what true eternal life means is to know Christ, to know God. Anything else isn't truly what eternal life is meant to be at all. Let's move forward. The basis of this unity, the basis of this joy is found in three things that we see here. In verse 6 to 7, we see that this unity, this joy is found first through the fact that God the Father has given them to him. God has given his people to Jesus. Two, we all have the word of God. Jesus gave them the word. And three, third, we are both his and the Father's now. We all have both Jesus and the Father. And as Jesus intercesses on our behalf, we can have unity and we can have joy. For this brings us all together and helps solve all of our problems. Now, we talked earlier of the request made for Jesus, by, from Jesus to the Father. I want to bring back those three specific requests, which weren't for Jesus, but for us. Number one, Jesus prays for the security of true believers' faith. He prays for protection. And Jesus prays for the deliverance in protection, the deliverance of true believers. Verse 11 and verse 15. And in this, we see Jesus acknowledging the world's hatred and the evil one's schemes. And therefore, he prays that his own believers, the 11, would be protected from the evil one. Jesus does not leave us. Once again, I say, Jesus does not leave us as orphans. He desires us to do great things, and we can't do great things on our own. God is the God of impossible, we sang a few minutes ago. But it's not because of our strengths. It's not because of our might. It's not because of our own presence. It's because of his. Jesus prays for deliverance, protection, not to be removed from the world, but to be protected from the evil one as we're in the world. Now, there's a, there's a fine separation here. We're not to be of the world, but we are to be in the world. And the reason being is because we still have a job to do. And the disciples still had a job to do here today as well. As Matthew 5, 16 says, they were to shine a light for Christ. And that's why we're still here as well. We live still in a day of grace, God's grace being shown to the world. We live in a day of mercy where God is still desiring greatly for all those to come to know him. And he uses us to show that light of Christ to all. But as we do this, we need to recognize we're not alone. As Psalm 124 reminds us, we have help. Help comes from the Lord. Help comes from God. And as Psalm 18 reminds us, God, that help, he is a fortress. He is a fortress. That fortress will not be knocked down. It is a refuge for us to, to run to. But we also need to, as we're in that fortress, to continue to proclaim of God's glory and the salvation to be found in Jesus. Finally, Jesus prays for the sanctification of true believers. We're to be different. We're to be set apart. Not out of the world, but still set apart. We're different. 
from the world's ways, for we have a knowledge, we have an understanding of God's righteous ways to live. We have an understanding of the good news of Jesus, of redemption from sin. We have an understanding of how to live in the truth, for God's word is truth. Verse 17 says this, but we have some application here as well. I ask you to consider this. Do you keep his word? Do you hold it as truth? Because Jesus says of his 11 here, they have kept the word. They have kept the word. This is the evidence of their faith. This is why Jesus goes to bat for his 11 to the, to the father here. He says they have listened. They have obeyed. They're living. They're understanding. Now, I'm not suggesting that they had total 100% obedience. Just as we don't have total obedience, we struggle. We sin. But I do want us to ask ourselves, if Jesus was here speaking of you, would he say the same of us? Would he say the same of our lives? Would he say, they have kept the word? In general, do your lives represent a complete obedience to the word of God? Do our lives stand as a testimony of the love of Christ? Do our lives stand as a witness to the hope that lives within us that we have something greater we're living for? Do our lives show unity in the body? Do our lives show joyfulness of spirit? Speaking of us, let's look further to that now. Number three, Jesus prays for the world of believers, the, the world of believers to come. And that includes us. In verse 21, Jesus expresses his great concern, great concern because unity is, is listed multiple times, several times that word is used. He has a great concern for our unity to come together, that we all might be rightly connected, not just to him, but horizontally together as well. Verse 21 states that they may all be one just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a greater purpose to this. It's not just to be connected, which is an amazing feat to even think that we can be connected with God, but it's also so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In John 17, we see for the believers of the world and us today as well, that he prays two specific requests. Jesus prays that all believers would be all as one united. And in this, that people would see Jesus. And then number two, Jesus prays that all true believers may behold the glory of Christ and someday be with him for eternity. Jesus desires eternal living for us. And Jesus prays for this, for us. And in this, he says, to know eternal life, one must know Christ. To know eternal life, one must know God and Christ. I'm reminded of our purpose statement here at Bloomer Baptist Church. It's on the center banner there. To know Christ and make him known. I think we so often think about that as just a salvation message, of just an outreach message, too, to go and make him known. The Great Commission, our mission to serve him and continue his work. But further than that, it's a promise of the eternal life that we now have. For through knowing Christ, we know eternal living. But let's move on. Jesus also speaks of love. 
And in verse 26, he says, the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus wants us to be unified. He wants us to have joy, but he also wants us to have love. We're to have unity together, joy together, and love together. There's enough fighting in the world. There's enough fighting in the church. We must come together, be unified upon the one similar calling we all have as Christ followers. Show unity, show joy, show love to the world. Psalm 133 talks of the greatness of when God's people are united together. What a witness we could have for the world if we would just have more unity, joy, and love. We have a great power, a great example to be seen in this scripture today. Especially when we follow it up. This prayer follows up Jesus explaining the hatred of the world. We spoke last week of that greatly. You see, living in a world of hate, but here's the thing. Although we live in a world of hate, God does not leave us here on our own. God leaves us Jesus still next to his side, interceding on our behalf. And he leaves us the Holy Spirit, and he leaves us together. But more than this, he leaves us a promise. You see, we are made for more. There is more coming. There's more coming, folks. And it's not hatred that's more coming. It's glory that's coming. We will be glorified as we're brought into his presence. Someday all believers will be in perfect unity, not just together, but with Christ. Someday we will no longer have the ill effects of sin in and around us. Someday we'll be living in a place prepared for us, a place in the presence of God forever. But today, today, we don't give up. We don't hang our heads low. We push on. We push forward. We continue to fulfill our calling. And Jesus talks about this in verse 18. As he says, as Jesus was sent into the world, so Jesus sends us into the world. We are to continue his work. Continue to talk about the redemption which is possible through the body and blood of Christ. Through his atoning sacrifice through the cross and the resurrection over the tomb, through Jesus' victory. There is no power for Satan any longer, for, for Christ has triumphed over him. Here's some final application or takeaways for us. I have a twofold challenge and three truths to leave you with. One is this As Jesus prepared to fulfill the atonement for sins for us, our great high priest enters the presence of God thinking not only about himself but about others. Remember, only one-fifth of this prayer was truly for him. All the rest was for God's glory and for others. So I tell us, we, must, we too must strive for unity and love, strive to, like Christ, focus on God's glory and others. Number two, as we look to this prayer, we see that Jesus' prayer was intimate. It was close. And it was of desiring for God and his glory. How about ours? Think about our prayers. I'm convicted here. I can't be alone. How often are our prayers just a grocery list of needs? How often are our prayers rushed? And I'm not saying that we need to go on and on and on and on and mumbling. But we should be praying 
intimately, passionately, with great appreciation and reverence for the God of which we're communicating with and the God that desires to hear from us. Are prayers just a routine, formal thing? Or do we greatly look forward to that time? Are they intimate and filled with love, respect, and appreciation and focused on glorifying God? And finally, those three truths which I wanted to leave you with. Three truths about prayer, and we can see these in here too. One, prayer helps us to keep God's glory our first priority. As we see Christ praying to God the Father, we see him seeking God's glory, not just the glory of his people. As we pray, we're reminded of God's glory. We're reminded to seek his will. And number two, prayer helps us to remember that any God-honoring work succeeds because it's his will and his power, not just our own. And finally, number three, prayer causes us to look to God both in and for success. We must look to prayer, but look to prayer like Jesus looks to prayer. With that, let's close in a song and prayer. And then I do invite you, stick around. We'll have our normal Sunday school kickoff where we talk about the classes and especially, not so much for the adults, but for the kids, explain to them where they are to go so nobody gets lost in this huge building. And then we'll go and join together in fellowship. I don't know about you. Maybe you've never joined us in Sunday school. Please join because I don't know about you. I feel lost during the summer. I mean, at first, maybe we enjoy that time, the extra time around the lunch table, but it doesn't take long at all for me to feel like I miss the Brindles. I miss the Wondros. I miss the Hammonds. I miss all those who are part of my Sunday school class because we're living together life and talking about what's, what's happening and we're challenging each other. We're encouraging one another. That's hard to do when we're separated from one another. So join us in Sunday school. Let's lift up one another and let's look to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your glory and we pray for your glory to come to be in all things, Lord, even in the bad things of this world. And Lord, we do pray. We, we ask you continue to protect us, continue to deliver us from the evil one. But we pray also continue to use us for your glory. May we go out just like Jesus, declaring the great, great news of salvation made possible through Christ through Christ alone. Thank you, Lord, for we know Christ and we're making him known. And in knowing Christ, it's not just about knowing a salvation for today, but it's about knowing an eternal salvation for eternity. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. May we honor him and glorify him in all we do. May we see seeking out your will in all things. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. This next song, as we close, we're closing with a special song. We have the...